CorporalNetwork.com. This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where out-of-print is available again, and listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Welcome to the Tome Book Club for July and August of 2014. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your guest host, Eric Pocket. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned in full book club style, and our book for this July and August is the last book of our year-long sundering season. Series? Season? Eh, whatever. The Herald by Ed Greenwood, who will be joining us later in the episode, live from, well, live-ish as much as you can get on a podcast from Gen Con. You might have noticed that I'm not Tracy. She got a bit of the con crud from Gen Con and so wasn't able to join us in the interview with Ed while in Annapolis and still hasn't much up for conversation. So we'll be flying with just the two of us in this episode. That's okay, though, because the, the French-Canadian accent gives us a touch of class, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, for September of 2014, if you're looking to join us moving forward, uh, we're actually going to take some time off. Um, I've just started a PhD program, and I'm starting a new school year as a teacher. Plus, I've got lots of things to read for upcoming reviews of the new D&D edition. Uh, so everything's a little overwhelming for me right now. So we'll be back in October anyway. Tracy wouldn't let me skip that month because it signals the release of Fire in the Blood, a new book by Aaron M. Evans. Uh, so just as we finish our year-long look at the realms, we finally have a chance to do something else, and Tracy insists on heading back into the realms. I think I may have a new realms convert. <laughs> Before we get into the episode, we should talk about our sponsor, Noble Knight. They are a great game store that specializes in finding the out-of-print. While at Gen Con, there was a lot of talk about the realm this year as the flagship setting of D&D. And all the old-school realms writers and designers talk about how they fell in love with the setting to the old gay box. Well, Noble Knight has that box set out-of-print out of since 1987 in good condition. Check for your link in the show notes and tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Hello! Hello, citizens! Oh, thank goodness! Adventurers! We need a noble knight! Perhaps you can slay the beast of retail and reap the promises of riches. Riches? Yes! Great prices, out-of-print games, the latest releases, and a magic box that converts all of your old loot into cash or new loot. But why? Fantastic! I'll do it! Yes, well... You see, the beast he kidnapped the mayor and can only be slain by the most noble of knights. Yes, yes, yes. I said I'll do it. Yes, the thing is, I was talking to her. What? Fear not, kind citizen. The noble knight will save the day, rescue the lord in distress, and liberate all that loot anyway only possible at Noble Knight. If you'd like to get your hands on Noble Knight's loot, head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the link in the show notes for this episode. And don't forget to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Ha! I got to do something to help out. All right, let's talk about the Herald. So, Eric, uh, what happened in this book? Lots of things of basically um, Ed, 
not Ed, sorry, Elminster. <laughs> Elminster. <laughs> Uh, going about, going about trying to uh, stabilize the uh, stabilize the weave, and also sending his folks in as in Storm and Amaroon to also help stabilize the weave itself. Well, sort of, right? I mean, you kind of have an A and a B plot that kind of crash together at the end, yeah. um, where there's a war going on between um, Shade Enclave, um, or I can't remember the the official full name of it now. It's been just called Shade for so long. Uh, anyways, the flying city of, of all the the you know evil uh, Netherese people. Yeah, um, and Mithdranor, the ancient. Um, Empire of the Realms, or City of the... Uh, or, I'm sorry, of the Elves, which was repopulated uh, a couple of realm-shaking events ago. Um, so there's this big war going on between the two of them. Uh, and that's sort of where Storm and um, Amaroon... And I forget Amaroon's... Arklath. Arklath. Amaroon's um, uh, uh, boyfriend, I guess? Boyfriend. I think, don't, do they get married in I, this one? Or? I don't think so. Because oh. he's, he's all like nobility and stuff, so that would be an issue. Oh. Um, so yeah, and so the three of them are off, although Amaroon and Arklath aren't technically supposed to be there. They were left sort of behind in, in Storm's cabin for safekeeping. And, um, you know, they take off, which I actually rather liked. I liked that they didn't sit still, because... If you're supposed to be the heir of Elminster, he wouldn't. Wanna, he wouldn't sit still. Well, you know? it's like any good adventurers, you have to go about and meddle and stuff. Put put your your finger into a little trap and go about and, and push a little button and all yeah. that. Get stuff moving. And in the meantime, Elminster, yeah, he's running around trying to stabilize the weave, and he starts off by going to Candlekeep, where um, he discovers there is a shade. Netherese um, plot there where they're killing and replacing um, some of the monks of Candlekeep. Uh, and then he discovers that the Moonstars are also there trying to, you know, having replaced some of the monks of Candlekeep trying to stop the Netherese. And then he has replaced the dead uh, monk to uh, try to stop both of them from whatever they're doing. Um, which, which leads to wonder. How many Candlekeep monks are left? Yeah, I sort of got the impression, yeah, that there were only like five poor Candlekeep monks, you know, a couple of cooks and and some stewards or whatever running around. Uh, And they're, you know, it turns out they're the only ones who are actually who they say they are. And everybody else has been replaced by others. Um, So, yeah, and so he goes to stabilize the weave there because um, the Netherese are trying to... um, I guess absorb or, or take over the magic of all the wards that have been layered over yeah. Candlekeep over the years. And then the moon stars want to when they meet up, they want to they want to destroy Candlekeep's itself because that's their their solution and they found that would solve everything, which Well, and it's not the Moon Stars specifically, but it's two of the seven sisters. Um uh was it oh, I can't remember which two now. It was the one that married uh Kelvin up in Waterdeep way back in the day, those of you who are Realms fans and, and whose name uh, escapes me. Uh, was it Laurel? Uh, I don't know. Uh, in any case, there's two of two of the, the seven sisters who are also chosen in Mystery who are there, and they have sort of studied Kelvin's writings and, and, and whatever on this situation because uh, apparently Kelvin Blackstaff, Aaron's son, did a bunch of studying on this. Um, and they, they're convinced that the only way to stop horrible things from happening is to destroy Candlekeep um, because that would stop all the bad guys from taking over 
um, the magic of that part of the weave and, and thus, um, risking exploding the weave and destroying all kinds of magic all over the place and, and causing all kinds of chaos. So it's sort of like they're, they're saying, look, this thing's coming down, but if we do it, we can sort of have a controlled explosion and not let it spread. Is that sort of your understanding of what happened? That, that's the sort of zones which, of course, Elminster said, no, 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 if you destroy it, I will just cause pure chaos. Yeah, it'll get worse, right? Which is... It, like on, there's parts of that whole thing that I liked, and parts of that whole thing that I didn't like. First of all, um, I like that Elminster was the guy who said no. You, it may seem impossible to save the day here, but darn it, it's the right thing to do, and I'm going to find a way. Like I like that sort of that pluck in in, yeah. in my heroes. Right? No, I'm going to do the impossible and find a way to make the to make this impossible situation work out best for everybody. Oh. Um, and then, but but he didn't stick with it, right? He eventually caved. Uh, and yeah. the and the other part I kind of uh, had issues with, I guess, is they have this sort of, um, and I described it in the interview with Ed, a, a sort of a superhero meetup moment, right? You got the two the two sisters and Elminster, and they meet up and they did have a disagreement. So the first thing they do is is they fling spells at each other and fight. And it's like you guys have known each other for you know what four or five hundred years. Like, you should have a familiarity with each other and a maturity to to not just start hurling spells when you have a disagreement. You know, it's not like this was super urgent. It, it, you could have just said, "Hey, let's let's root out the Netherese, and then we can talk about and figure this out calmly." You know, so I kind of wasn't fond of that superhero team up moment where oh, the good guys have to fight and then and then come to terms with the fact that they're on the same side and and then team yeah. up. You know, me yeah. I mean, yeah, as Someone who's this is the first novel by Ed Greenwood I ever read without. Oh, is it? With, yes, with Elminster and all those characters, I was like, okay. I saw that there was a history with them mm-hmm. just by those, but I, I was not aware of what sort of history there was. So I felt okay. So there, I guess there's been conflict in their history. That's why they're fighting. That's how I. That's how, that's how I you interpret that, that. How I interpret yeah. it. I mean, he basically raised them when they were infants. So he's like a surrogate father for them. So it could be children rebelling against their parent, too. Yeah, but when you're 400 years old, are you really that childish anymore? Come on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it depends on how maturity you evolve, too. Yeah. I guess, I, I guess when we asked Ed about it, and, and the people who hear this in the interview, he had an answer that, I don't know. I don't know that it was entirely satisfactory to me, just because I kind of expect my heroes to be better than me, not, not worse than me, especially ones that are that old and, and wise. But, but it, th- these are the characters. He, I mean, it's not inconsistent yeah. with the way he's depicted the characters in the past. It's just, okay. I wish they were better people, you know? Well, sometimes for heroes, you have to have those frailties that are tools that you can tell that they try to potentially try to rise above them hmm. when they have it. That's where you got the conflict that drives the story. Mm-hmm. And then so. the the whole Candlekeep bit of the story, I sort of felt like at this point the the Myth Draner stuff was just kind of going on. Like it wasn't – it was definitely the B plot, right? It wasn't – Oh, yeah. It was just sort of, hey, I'm going to tell you about this every now and then because I want to remind you that it's happening, you know? Yeah. 
Well, um, this was this was a definitely Elminster's story as he's moving about, and sometimes meanwhile. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's right. And, you know, I think the the meanwhile at this point in Mithranor was um, Shade was sending the the leader of Shade um, was sending. Oh, is the city Thultanthal? That might be it. Yeah, Thultanthal. Yeah, yeah. there was a prince of Thultanthal. That was right. the Shade. Yeah. Right, and so they keep sending in um, these agents of Shade into the crypts underneath Mithranor to um, break into the crypts and defeat the Baelnorn that are there, and then absorb all the magic. Um, you know, to slowly weaken the defenses, but of Mithranor, but also to because that's the whole point, right? They're trying to absorb magic. Yeah. So while all the elves are are distracted fighting this war. Up above, uh, you know, he's got agents going down just to one at a time, or in, in some cases two at a time, and absorbing up all the magic of the magic items under there, which I felt like accomplished two things. Um, one, I almost saw it as a bit of comic relief. I mean, they'd send a, a, a shade agent down there, they'd get into a few crypts, they'd eventually die, they'd send a couple more shade agents down there. Like They just kept, you know, going through these powerful shade um, mages. Like it, like it was no big deal. Yeah, or just minions being sent out to be destroyed. Which yeah. and and the, ne- oh, go ahead. Is, is Netaril, from what I recall, Netaril is under Shar, right? Yeah, well, it is now. Like the or- yeah. originally, Netheril was like the ancient human uh, empire uh, ruled by powerful wizards. Okay, uh, and then one of the Netherese, um tried to absorb the the magic of the god of magic. And, and ended up killing the god of magic as a result. And when they did so, for just a moment, magic ceased to exist in the realms. And all of their flying cities crashed to the earth. Uh, and so that's that was the end of Netheril. But one, this one city, that is now known as, as Shade, uh, escaped because they, they had a prophecy saw it coming and escaped into the Plane of Shadow or Shadowfell or whatever we're going to call it now. And then they recently came back. And so they specifically are agents of Shar. Netheril Nether- historically was not. Okay. Um, th- at least not that I know of. Maybe it was. Yeah. But, um, well, Shar likes to destroy her own people and all that. Yeah, as, yeah. As, I mean, she's the Lady of Loss, right? Yeah. Um, and well, and, and in a previous Sundering book, she was trying to destroy the entire world. So. Um, but then I, th- I feel like the other part of what was going on with these um, shade going down and absorbing all this magic under Mithranor um, serves the larger idea of bringing back the old realms, right? In the in the beginning, the city of Mithranor was sort of a sad place. It was in ruins. It used to be full of elves. They had fled to the this island way off the coast all by themselves. Uh, they'd abandoned the city. It had been lost to... to uh, Demons or devils? One of the two. Uh, and, and, but the mythal sort of it kept all the bad things inside so they couldn't get out. And it was the kind of place that really stupid adventurers would go if they really wanted to die or find great treasure, right? Um, now it's kind of, you know, sp- jumping to the end here, it's kind of back to that, to that status, right? Uh, yeah. it, it's back into ruins and, and, there's certain to be bad stuff there, and it seems it seems like it's become a place for adventurers to go and explore again. But fifth edition has less magic items than the previous editions, so now there's a good excuse as to why there's less magic items. These shade guys were running around absorbing all the magic items, you know, <laughs> you know. So I, f- I felt like it it served a purpose of returning Mithranor to its own to its old ways, um, while making it make sense to the new edition. 
yeah, basically a, a reset of Midran or yeah. So anyway, that's sort of what's going on in Shade with a little bit jumping ahead. Yeah. Uh, back in Candlekeep, um, a character called Larlock gets involved. Yeah. Um, Larlock is a character that Ed has hinted at and alluded to, uh, both in conversations with me and in his novels for a long time now, for years. And it's a character that, that like has been fleshed out, but hasn't appeared in novels, um, to my knowledge. I don't remember him ever appealing, appearing in novels. Um, and now he, I feel like Ed finally got to break out this toy that he's been that he's been sort of wanting to get to for a long time. I had a question about this in, in the interview and never got a chance to ask it because we ran out of yeah. time. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Larlock. Larlock was fun. Yeah, he, he popped up and he was like, those he was like, for for a while he was helping uh, Elminster. Yeah, well, yeah, he made it, and like I mean, I always sort of thought of Larlock, Larlock as being this great villain, but. If you're a great villain, you don't convince Elminster to just team up with you, right? Yeah. I mean, I could. I mean, I think you could argue that the relationship between Elminster and Larlock, who's supposed to be the bad guy, was more amicable than the relationship between Elminster and and the two sisters, who were supposed to be like daughters to him. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um. But yeah, so Larlock convinces him that, and and the sisters, the conversation with the sisters also affects him, and he's convinced. You know what? Yes, these wards and this magic needs to come down, um, in order to secure magic, and so we're going to um, pull him down, reabsorb him, re re. What is he going to like re-anchor him or whatever, and then put him back? Was that sort of the plan? I think that was the plan. And Larlock, I just checked the Forgotten Realms wiki. He, he, he does appear in two in, in two books: one, the novel Realm of the Elves, and the source book Netherreal Empire of Magic. Yeah, it's a source book, not a not a novel. The other, yeah, one, the other story, Realm of the Elves is a novel. Yeah, Realm of the Elves and Tears So. But that sounds Tears. like that sounds like one of the uh, short story novels that they do yeah, sometimes. Yeah, anthology. Yeah, yeah, he appears in one one one, one short story in one book. Yeah, yeah. So Ed's been sort of toying with the idea and, and hinting with the idea of, of, in, of bringing back or using Larlock and, and sure. never really did much with him until now. And, and, and I never really knew a whole lot about him. He's, he's the chosen of Mistral, which was the first god of magic. Um, and then it was the Netherese who destroyed Mistral, and then, it was, and then Mistral was reborn as Mistra, which is the goddess of magic we kind of sort of know now, although she's died and been reborn again since then. Um. And so Larlock is absorbing all of the wards of Candlekeep with the help of the monks of Candlekeep, who they managed to convince to help, uh, and Elminster, and then he gets greedy, and he decides to just, I'm just going to absorb the magic of the wards myself and become super powerful, because um, every tyrant is horrible but me, right? Yeah. Because Larlock is convinced. He knows what to do, and he knows how to how to fix things, and how to keep magic doing what it should be doing, and, and whatever. Even though he's this ancient lich who's been around for since before Elminster, who we think of as being really old. Yeah. He's, ba- he's, ba- he's basically becomes very arrogant of his, and overconfident in his abilities to be able well, to control the, Here's the question, right? When I read it, I sort of interpreted it as this was Larlock's plan all along, and he duped Elminster. Is that how you read it, or did you read it as Larlock did fully intend on helping Elminster, and then at the last minute changed his mind and decided to absorb the magic himself? I read it more of that he basically first was planning on anchoring and all that, but then he saw an opportunity and decided to, okay, let's try it. 
I guess so, I guess I just didn't trust him from the get go, so I was waiting for the the sudden but inevitable betrayal, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. So in any case, they that happens, and now and then candle keep starts to fall apart and and whatever, um, and they sort of relocate, right? All the moon stars, um, the sisters, Elminster. Uh, and Larlock all sort of speed off to Mithranor because they figure this is the next place that the Netherese are trying to absorb the magic. We all need to get there first, either to stop them or, in K- Larlock's case, pl- case, to absorb all the magic before they do. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Elminster also not o- now not only has to stop the Netherese, but also has to look out and stop Larlock. Larlock. Yeah, it's now t- two bad guys to, uh, to stop. Yes. Two super powerful uh, archmage level uh, bad guys. Yeah. Although Larlock has this interesting like monolo- inner monologue where where he he really doesn't respect the 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 Netherese as wizards at all. Well, no, but well, because since he comes from the previous empire, I mean, he remembers when it is a time of big magic, from what I would gather. Well, but the Netherese were the time of big magic, right? I mean, they were huge and powerful, and these guys aren't weak, aren't weak, and they're they're also very old. Like he sees them as sort of impudent whelps abusing magic, and they don't deserve the the blessing of it or whatever. Um, he's not in the in the scheme of things. He's not that much older than them. Um, now maybe he's got a grudge because. It was an Etherese wizard who destroyed Mistral, and he's the chosen of Mistral, who's now dead, you know. Um, so in any case, yeah, so um, the, the war between Shade and, and Mithdranor is not going super well, and the, the chosen end up mixed in the bunch, and they, they find slash awaken the Srinshi, and, and they try to salvage or save a bunch of the elves and, and, um, and tra- help them find a gate to, to transport off to another location. Um, and then, was it Larlock's doing that crashes the city? I don't remember. I can't remember how that ended up happening, right? But the, the Empire of Shade eventually just like loses its magic and, and crashes into the city of Mithranor. And I don't remember if that was Elminster, if that was Larlock, or, or if it was, you know, one, one, one manipulating the other. Yeah, I sort of feel like there was a lot of, there were a lot of incidences in this story of, Bide your time and wait for that that moment, right? And so I feel like it could have been a a Larlock situation where Larlock was doing this thing, and then Elminster took took you know waited for the exact right moment, well. or vice versa. Um, but in any case, the the city of Shade ends up crashing to the ground. So Shade, which was introduced in in third edition, is now uh, a smoking ruin combined with the ruins of Mithdranor. Um, and we don't really know what the status quo is there. Uh, yeah. What's left of the of the empire of, of Netheril, of the new empire of Netheril? What's left of Mithranor? What's left of, left of the Mithil? Um, it's all sort of a mess, right? Doesn't the Shinshri come in and help out, uh, save a bit? I know she comes in. Oh, it, and it might have been her that brought down the city too. See, yeah. this is all. <laughs> this is all. And I was. It, it, I, was, it was. It was. It was. That section of the phones I remember it was very young. Okay, trying to. I. After I, I actually read the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, once and then I had to reread it, but I didn't quite finish it the, mm-hmm. the second time, so I didn't get back to the end. Mm-hmm. So it was, but. Yeah, the first time I was like, okay, I'm not too sure what's happening to the whole story, but now 
that yeah. I reread it. And I've managed to, to – so I use the audiobook, and I've managed to <laughs> listen to both most of the Sundering books that we've reviewed. I've managed to listen to both of them twice – or all of, of them twice. This one I didn't because, um, you know, Gen Con happened. Sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> so th- all those great recordings you're hearing uh, of our con coverage or that you've been hearing of our con coverage from Gen Con, that's the reason I didn't get to uh, listen to the book a second time. But yeah. um, So that sort of takes us to the end, right? We have yeah. this, then we have this nice sort of Thanksgiving moment where, you know, all a family, the, ga- a family gathering. Uh, all- yeah. You got a bunch of the chosen. You got a bunch of the sisters. You got, uh, Arklath and Amaroon. You've got Venger de Hast and, um, Glathra from Cormier. Like, you know, high mages of Cormier just decide, Hey, let's go up to, to Shatterdale and have, have dinner, you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> in, in Storm's cast or in Storm's cabin. Um, but you do have it. Sort of make, does sort of make this nice little moment yeah. of you know the gathering of these people and and whatever. And, and Mistra shows up there, to, from right? Or at least uh, manifests in some way, right? right? Yeah. Um. So that's sort of what happened, and and I think we hit some of our thoughts and what we liked and didn't like along the way. Uh, any other thoughts um, that well, you want to discuss? There was also the the. Lunar, meanwhile, was Manchun from time to time. These episodes are basically talking from time and there, showing up, but not really getting involved in anything, just looking on the sidelines. Yeah, that whole C-plot, I guess, if you will, was a little weird for me, because you had the you had Manchun, who's sort of a classic Forgotten Realms character, and you had Mert, who's also like a classic um, Ed Greenwood character from like way back in the beginning of the realms. Uh, and they're just sort of sitting around in Cormier, uh, well away from the fighting, and then, you know, talking about what's going on, oh. you know? It, it, the whole thing seems a little weird. Um, and we, I, we asked Ed about this in the, in the interview as well. Um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not entirely sure what to think of that plot. What do you well, think? Yeah. Well, the way it was sometimes placed, it sometimes placed added, I find it to be like a good breeder after a bunch of action. I'm like, okay, let's, a calm point where they're just talking. Uh-huh. Also, for pacing wise for the book, it's just okay, cool. Something else has happened. <laughs> I mean, there's there is an element of of it that I enjoyed in because if nothing else, it gives you a different perspective, especially on Man- Manchun, who's oftentimes sort of the mustache twirling villain. Okay. Uh, you know the 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 former head of the Zin- the Zinterim, who are these you know this evil organization in the realms. Um, you know, he's now, he's a vampire now uh, to just make him even more evil. You know, he's generally considered to be just a fairly two dimensional villain. And yet, and yet Mert like talks him down from action. Like, Hey, let's talk through this stuff and, 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 you know, uh, out, out thinks him and outwits him. And, but, but they sort of, it's not just a a straight up, I, you were outwitted and I tricked you this sort of thing. It's more of a. I convinced you, and and we we spoke intelligently and logically, and and had a conversation. You know, yeah. They mentioned about many mansions in the book, or something like that. Yeah. So back in the second edition days, um, there was a a thing about Manchun where he didn't want to die, right? Uh, and in second edition, there was a spell called clone, where you could create yeah. another version of your body. So he would clone himself and then put the clone in stasis. Um, with a contingency, basically, of um, stay in stasis until my soul enters this body. 
So he so he had clones of his himself hidden in little caches and, and hiding places all over the realms, and that way, if he ever died, his soul would just go to another clone and pop back yeah. up. And hey, there's Manchun again. And so he he was you know the ultimate recurring villain that would just never go away. Yeah. Certain certain wizards in uh, Greyhawk did the same thing. Yeah, one- the whole thing went down poorly though because eventually several clones woke up at once. Um, yeah. and, and ended Which is up never good. Yeah, and ended up warring with each other, and, and that went poorly. Yeah. Oh. So, but yeah, so that's those are sort of the the plots. That's, Any other yeah. thoughts? Uh, like I said, being, being like my first uh, I saw there were certain things he explained well, which was good for someone new. But there were certain things that he was there in the book. I'm like, okay, um, I think I'm missing something that's probably been explained in so many books that. I've, haven't catch up yet so yeah well i mean this is the sixth book in the sundering and like the ninth or tenth book in in uh the elementor series if you will okay so i think he was maybe just assuming people have read but that people had some good um background background yeah so but no it it was okay as a book those because I had to reread it to just to grasp all the little plus that was happening. Sure, but so on the second reading, it's it, it got better. So but, I'm trying to see. I'm trying to look a little, here a little bit to see how many just how many books Elminster books there have been since the first one, Elminster Making of a Mage. I think that was the first in the Elminster series. I'm not finding an easy way to f- to find the list, though. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, so you you thought there were there were some confusing bits, but some bits that he did a really nice job of. Yeah, and that's sort of um, Ed's books have sometimes been uh, off and on for me. Like some of them really grab me. Some of them I struggle with more, and and that's not necessarily bad that I struggle with more. It just makes me really sort of work a little harder to to parse out exactly what's going on and and the the importance of that. Um, and I would say this is one of those books. Um, I've also found that that Ed, for some of Ed's books, um, he's 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 been he said before I should say that um, he writes his books with the idea in mind that they will be read aloud. So oh. I, I find if you're ever going to do an audiobook, an Ed Greenwood book is probably the one to do as an audiobook, right? Um, his books tend to shine really well in audio. Um, you know, so whatever enjoyment you get out of it from reading, um, it's usually even better listened to. Um, and I've, I found that to be particularly true in, in some of the books. This one, the audio, I think, helped, helped it a little bit, but not as much as some of the other ones did. Does that make sense? Yeah. So. And you're, I, according to the Forgotten Realms wiki, uh, without including the Herald, there are eleven novels oh, that, close. that that he uh, he appears in. There's that the he appears Elmen- in. Yeah, there's the Elminster series, which has five books. There's the three Avatar books, the Avatar series, and the three uh, Shadow Sage of Shadowdale series. Yeah, I wouldn't have counted the the Avatar series because they're not really about him. He just appears okay. in them. This is based on the appearances. Yeah, yeah. 
but there's also so that makes uh, eight plus short, the herald is nine so yeah i yeah. said nine or ten i was right yeah. on and there's two short stories one in dragon and one in realms of, of valor i'm surprised there's not there's not more than that yeah. so, okay so that's what the forgotten realms wiki is well i would not argue with the forgotten realms wiki Yep. I happen to know that many authors go to the Forgotten Realms Ricky when they yeah, when they have questions. So I've heard the interviews people saying yeah. they do that. So very good. So any other thoughts on the book? Uh, well, this is the last of the Avatar, the, uh, not Avatar Sundering. Sorry, Sundering series. Does Sundering happen at the end? I believe Ao shows up and splits the world. Ao showed up. I, I remember. I thought I remember reading Ao being mentioned. I definitely. I, I remember there being conversation and mentioning him. I don't remember him actually showing up and. and okay, I made up. But no, you may be right. I mean, I know I was driving and listening and and yeah. taking care of a kid and everything at the same time. I may have missed that, but yeah, yeah, because that yeah. was one of the that was one of my questions. Right? Is that is how did this whole thing play out with the sundering and and the new realms and all that? Right. Um, you know, and it sort of told us about a war, not necessarily yeah. the only war, but it told us about a war. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I mean, the sundering happening in the book would have been huge, right? Uh, if that happened, and if or you know, I don't, and I don't know which of our memories is more faulty here. Um, but I guess that's telling also. Like, it, if it happened, it wasn't a, a huge deal. No. It, uh... From what I remember, it was probably. I think it just happened near the end, and whack. Done. Continue on. From what I recall. Yeah. Okay. It, it that was make, not, I mean, it, that would make sense. This is the book that's supposed to to, to wrap up the Sundering, yeah. so that would make, that would make a lot of sense. And, uh, as, and as, as, although, as I understand, as much as this is the book that's supposed to wrap up the Sundering, um, that doesn't mean that that we're done reading about the Sundering because um, Fire and the Blood goes back before this book, I, b- I believe I understand from what I heard Aaron Evans talking about at Gen Con. Um, and I think some of uh, the Drist books might still be within the Sundering. From the Sundering timeline? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, also, as in previous interviews with Angry Wood has said, they don't have a specific, they haven't revealed a specific reason of why the Sundering happened. Right. Because they, from what we heard, from what I heard, they've had several reasons, and they just can't pin one up. So they're not right now, or just haven't decided yet. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, and ultimately that kind of goes to the larger issue here. Now, the sundering is over, and I think it may be worth discussing um, outside of this book. What now that the sundering's over? How do we feel about the, the sundering? You know how how did the sundering as an event go over? Did you did we feel like we kind of understand what happened? Do we feel like um, that it helped connect everything? That it, every, all these stories felt connected? Um, you know, do we have a clear understanding sort of of where the realms are now? Yeah. What do you think? I don't have a quite clear where they are. Um, I played some. I played and ran some of the adventures that they were doing through the encounters season. Plus, read the the Sundering Sundering series, which has different stories here and there. So there's 
specific specific areas that okay yes we know more about what happened here there and and over there too like mm-hmm. i sort of feel over- like I sort of feel like if you're going to have one big year-long event that introduces us to the new realms and the new edition of D&D, it kind of should have concluded with a campaign guide. <laughs> you know? And I understand. I don't want, yeah. them, I don't want them to rush up a campaign guide. Yeah. And they've specifically said at Gen Con, um, in, one of the, in the, one of the first Forgotten Realms panel, um, Mike Merle specifically said, we have not started work on a pa- campaign guide. We're not yeah. entirely sure what it would look like. Um, you know... There, there will probably yeah. be one in the future, but but we're not there yet. And it's like, oh yeah. well, that's interesting. But you just well, finished reshaping the realms. Now I kind of want to know what the shape is. You know? Yeah. Well, it's like today in encounters, one of the players was asking if there was a dragonborn empire. And I remember that in fourth edition they have Akinol, which is mm-hmm. no, sorry, Akinol was. Yeah, I think Akinol was. No, Akinol was the Ganesai one. But there, there, there was another one. Oh, you're right. Uh, Timanther? Timanther. Timanther, which was Dragonborn, which I believe comes from a, from, a, from a bear. Yes. And so since now a bear and Toril are now separated, did Timanther go back or is it still there? We don't know that. Not, nothing that I've read so far indicates what was the status of Timanther. Right. But I, but I told the player, if you still want to play Dragonborn, I'm sure there are citizens of Timanther that have been that are well, in the yeah. realm still. They so, haven't so disappeared. Timanther was a specific realm, a specific kingdom, yeah. if you will, yeah. or whatever, that was predominantly dragonborn. Yeah. But, th- but there were dragonborn all over the realms. It wasn't exactly. the only place to find dragonborn. Yeah. No, and I think I think the assumption is that there that the dragonborn are still around, right? Because they're yeah. in the player's handbook, and and the player's handbook kind of. Defaults to the realms several times. Yeah. You know, plus, so. plus also we have like Aaron Evans who has uh, as a dragonborn character has a dragonborn character in Lels. What if you don't Logan realize what happened to him? He's he's Meehan is a rather important uh, is a rather important character in her stories. Mm-hmm. So so yeah so uh, yeah I don't know specifically overall. For realms, we know specific stuff, which, from a gameplay perspective, it, it is good because you can also let 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 folks, like groups, say, create what you want. Mm-hmm. Here, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think there's there's it's good and it's not good, right? Yeah, uh, it's something that I feel like as a gamer, I can I can roll with this. Yeah. Like, I can say, okay, fine, we don't know what the new status quo is. I know a little bit about what's kind of going on, whatever. Um, but that's okay, because it's a campaign setting, and I'm okay with saying, and now it's my campaign setting, and I'm going yeah. to run in it, and I don't care what the continuity is, I'm going to run it my way. And yeah. that's fine, so I can take the parts that I like. If I want Timanther to have survived in my realms, then then gosh darn it, Timanther totally survived in my realms. Yeah. Or, or not, if I want to bring yeah. back what used to be there, you know? Yeah. Um, so... I, I'm okay with it as a gamer, but as a realms fan, yeah, you want to like know if, every. If, well, I don't want to know everything, but if you're going to reshape the realms, then when you're done reshaping the realms, I should kind of know what shape the realms are in, you know. And at this point, uh, as you kind of mentioned, we don't even know what the sundering was. Like we know that the two worlds separated, but there wasn't a lot of 
evidence of the two worlds separating. Like none of the things that we saw happening in the world had to do with the land separating, like with, you know, some lands disappearing and other lands returning and all that. Like none of that happened. We saw gods freaking out. We saw, uh, you know, a whole sea get refilled uh, and a giant chasm get refilled with, with earth. Uh, we saw giant wars happening and old cities turning back into ruins. Um, we saw earth moats falling. We saw earth moats falling. We saw the reestablishment of the Harpers. You know, we saw all this stuff, but we never actually saw anything that, that was directly two worlds separating, you know? So there was no real strong evidence of the sundering happening. I feel like I, I feel a little bit like I just got to the end of, of the last season of Lost and I, I still have some big questions and they're never going to tell me. You know? <laughs> um so Yeah. I know yeah, and I know they will eventually tell me. Oh yeah. Through books, through novels, through stuff and all that. No, they're uh, gonna tell me in a campaign guy some one day. It's not going to take or possibly campaign. Guide. Yeah, it's not going to take that long. I'm going to tell you right now. They're going to give us a campaign guide, and if they don't, I'm driving out to Seattle and demanding one. <laughs> so maybe you could go and write one. There you go. <laughs> maybe next year, Gen Con, they'll have a campaign guide for us. We basically have no idea what products they're releasing past you know this fall. So yeah, they haven't they haven't announced it. They haven't announced it yet. And yeah, so no, uh, and that's fine. fine. So anyway, yeah, no, I feel like um, all this stuff was definitely going on in the same sort of – during the same event. Like I feel like the Sundering as an event successfully connected the books in the ways that I needed it to. You know, just enough connection to make it feel like a living world, which is what I love about the realms. It's the same reason I read DC Comics, right? Because I feel like it's all happening in the same world. Yeah. They're connected to each other just enough but not enough to to interrupt the telling of that story, you know? Um, but there was also a lot of stuff going on that was alluded to that we never got any information about at all. Like how many of the books discussed that there was a war going on, but none of those were this war. And even, and I'm, and I'm told from, from Aaron Evans that, that she's going to deal with a different war going on between, I think a Cormier and Symbia in fire and the blood, which still take, you know, takes place pre, pre Herald. Um, but even then, like that's like, I feel like the sundering took place over, what would you guess? Like, 15 20 years is that a, is that a fair assessment how long do you think the, the sundering novels took i was thinking more four or five years four or five you see i feel like it was longer than that but even then like i mean um the companions what started before the, the sundering started happening so i'm guessing okay so six years or so e- even so six Years is a long time for any given war to take place, right? Yes. So we have to presume that, like, the wars that were alluded to in the previous books were even different wars. That wasn't, yeah. you know, it wasn't, um, well, it wasn't this one with, with, it wasn't the one that Aaron's going to talk about with Symbia and Cormier, and it wasn't this one with Mithraner and the Shade. Yeah. Um, so what, but okay. what was going on? Uh, for six years, they were always comparing the, the Sundering as basically the equivalent of World War II. Well, yes. World Let's War II what happened in six years. I want to talk about years. that. Go ahead. Yeah. World War II happened in six years, from 1939 to 1944 or 45. Uh, but yeah, so five or, four or five years. Yeah. That's fine. And that's, so, that's fair, but... 
but this, but none of the wars of the Sundering were World War II style wars. I mean, it wasn't everybody oh. fighting. It was just oh, there's a war over here and there's a war over there, and they're huge yeah. and they're devastating and whatever. But it's one one group versus one group. Yeah, you know. Uh, and I have other issues with the World War II analogy. Right? They yeah. use the World War II analogy as an explanation as to why they're not explaining things. You know, oh, well, when you he- read World War II novels, they don't explain the story of World War II. They just dive into the lives of those people during the war. Well, yes, because World War II is a familiar context that we all understand as a society. Yes. This is not a familiar context that we understand as a society. And so it does put us into a setting and into an event that we don't any- have any comprehension of. So the World War II analogy that, they, that, they keep, that they've been using for over a year now to explain what's going on in these stories doesn't fly for me. That is not a good excuse to not explain what's going on oh, yeah. because we don't have the familiar context of under- already understanding it. Yeah, because <laughs> when we look at stories for World War II – we, we've known already what happened where we're yeah. here, and now we're just exploring an aspect of it. Now they're going basically the opposite way, where basically, okay, we're exploring the people inside of world without really knowing the whole thing. Maybe in the future we'll know the future thing, but it's basically they're going in a reverse way of yeah. or World War Two, sir. And it so, kind of it it kind of bothers. Me. I feel like I'm being very negative, and I, and I shouldn't be. I I really enjoyed the Sundering. I really enjoyed the the books that we read. Um, you know, I've enjoyed this whole this whole year of exploring the realms in this oh. way, uh, and and the changes they're bringing about, and it's been interesting to see. Um, but it has that sort of lost issue for me, right? In that I really liked what was going on. But I had, you know, the one big question that sort of I felt like the whole thing hinged on and it never really panned out for me. Could we simply say that you are designed more out of the Sundering? You want to know more about what happened in the Sundering itself. Absolutely. And, and I will, right? They're gonna, they're, yeah. I think they're going to go back and reveal some of this. Um, I think there will be products or there will be – you know, uh, a timeline, or there'll be it'll be in the in the campaign guide someday, or whatever. I think they're going to give it to me, so I'm more hopeful with this than I than I was with Lost. You know, <laughs> this emptiness in me isn't. Yes. I don't feel like it's going to go on forever. Um, but yeah, but there is an emptiness. Like I feel like I missed something. Like the, every book of the Sundering was just a little bit extra confusing because it was going on during something important that was never actually explained to us. Yep. So anyway. That's my rant. I really, I, I enjoyed the book. Um, you know, I enjoyed some of them more than others. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, it was it was good and it was worth it, it was worth doing and worth reading. Yeah. Should should we do something crazy like take the the six books of the Sundering and and rate them by favorite to least favorite, or would that be too much? Well, I, I thought of <laughs> I, I, I thought of it before, so I know a bit well and how. Uh, my, I fought it before my order too, so, and me, it, it, it sort of, it, it sort of forms a, a for me, a, a pyramid, where oh, yeah. the, the, the middle, the middle books, of the series, like Aaron Evans' books, followed by uh, the Reaver, or near the top, and then the, the two, the first and the last are near the, or near the bottom of the pyramid, for purposes of how much enjoyment I got of them. So, which is interesting considering that the two biggest authors of the series that did the most for the realms, sure. Salvatore and Greenwood, to me, 
But both of oh. them also told stories that were very much entrenched in the long-standing stories that they were already telling, right? Exactly, and so I mean, this was this was not a great great jumping on point for for reading Drist books. Yeah, basically, I'm coming in as I haven't read much uh, Realms lore. Most of my experience reading Forgotten Realmsborn has been true here to the Tome Show Book Club. Yeah, sure. So those two books, yes, they had lots of. Okay, you need to have read all the previous books for us to. No, so I was like, okay, I don't have as much buy-in compared to... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm having, like, I'm trying to, s- s- I've listed them and I'm trying to sort through, like, I can I can clearly say that The Adversary was my favorite of the Sundering books. Yeah. Um, and then I've got the other five and I keep moving them around and not quite sure where me? to settle them in. Because some oh. of them, ha- you know, some of them did things with, with types of characters and whatever that I really enjoyed dealing with some of them had large sort of issues associated with them um that you know so yeah i placed the reaver second on my list for a simple point that you feel there's an actual direct connection with the adversary because you actually have a character from the adversary that goes it was a minor that goes into the reaver and it's, really, and, it's, and it's really the first time we start to see the effects of the Sundering. Like, the geography yeah. starts to change, you know? Yeah. Um, now, I, I I was real close to putting... I, I think I would probably put the Reaver second as well. I think I liked the Companions more than you did, but that's because I have, I've have i read all yeah. 28 Driss books, you know? I yeah. have that history with it. Well, exactly. I mean, it's all based on what your background yeah. history is coming in. You will place them... At different at different uh, at different levels. Yeah, I thought the Sentinel did a good job of portraying the world and telling a story, but not a great job of giving me characters. I felt the felt like the the Herald is, is doing did a nice job of sort of giving us a, a little bit of an insight as to the, the new realms, at least in that little corner of the world, uh, and sort of where things are going with with those characters. Mm. Um, I felt like the Godborn was doing a lot of big things that I that I usually really enjoy. But didn't necessarily do the best job of depicting what the realms are like, especially in terms of gender issues, right? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. I mean, all of uh, the adversary sits on top, and then the rest of them. And I think the reaver probably sits second, and then the rest of them sort of um, have great strengths and and weaknesses as well. You know. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we have talked for fifty minutes about this, and yeah. I think we have a forty-five or so minute interview for with so, Ed Greenwood. So we should probably wrap up our discussion. Yeah. So this will it's be a, a big. It's amazing that the two of us, just two people, could talk yeah. about this book and this series for fifty minutes. It says a lot yeah. about a lot about. I mean, as much as we've been critical, I think it says a lot about our level of interest and what was going on. If we could talk about it for this long, that is true. All right. So now we'll. Uh, Go listen to Jeff and I at Gen Con speak to Ed Winwood. We are here now at Gen Con face-to-face with the infamous, yeah, we'll go infamous, Ed Greenwood, creator of the Forgotten Realms and author of The Herald, which we are talking about today. Ed, welcome back. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> uh, and also with me is Eric, who's uh, filling in for Tracy, who's got a bit of the con crud. Hello. All right, so uh, I guess to start off, as we oftentimes do with these books, um, as concrete or esoteric as you want to be, what is The Herald about? The Herald is about 
Reigns of frogs and locusts. <laughs> I don't remember. The world crushing apart. <laughs> no, okay. Lions lying down with lambs. And, and, no, no, okay. Um, the, the Herald is the last of the six books of the Sundering. It wraps up the um, event that um, people outside the realms, that is us, can tidily refer to as the Sundering. And um, specifically, as each book of the Sundering has focused in on individuals living through the Sundering, the Herald focuses mainly on Elminster. Surprise! I mean, no surprise, he's on the cover. You know, um, and Elminster, of course, is busily repairing the weave, as he's been doing throughout most of the spell plague, because when Mistra died, if die she did, I mean, because mortals can't trust anything they learn, but, you know, all of a sudden... All, all these wizards went mad or their heads blew off or they just died in their tracks and the weave sort of went down and went well. And after all the dust cleared, there was still a weave. It was functioning fitfully. I, I think the, the nice metaphor would be um, in a large city in the modern world, the power's gone down, the power grid's gone down, and all of a sudden you see here and there, there are still little bits of light as bits of it are sort of wheezing along without the rest of it. So Elminster, with the, the help of Storm Silverhand, his longtime companion of the Seven, and his successor, Amaroon Whitewave, are repairing the weave. And we actually get to see that at the beginning of the novel. They're, they're wandering around making little fixes magical fixes to the anchors that hold the weave to make it more stable. So the weave is still functioning. His job is to make sure something locally, and everybody else is still trying to use magic of various sorts, mm. and so they're putting stress on the weave. Is that something that you added in for this book? Because I don't remember a lot of the whole anchoring of the weave story happening in the previous um um, oh, no, in the previous books of the Sundering, no, you didn't hear anything about it at all. If you look back very carefully over the realm's lore, you'll see um, instances in the past and in some of my previous novels of Elminster anchoring the weave. Um, of well, course... You know, there, there was wild magic, and, and they'd use the silver fire. And, and, yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, people don't say, Hi, I'm anchoring the weave, to themselves when they're doing it. So you... you the term may not have come up, but yeah, you can see instances of it before in the past because that was one of his jobs. He was always um, buffing and polishing the weave wherever he went, and and he's going on doing this. And we we see him come to the realization as things start to go really bad that he doesn't have time for this anymore. This is going to be too slow. Bad things are happening. Uh, specifically, we we find out that. It would be a good thing for him to get to Candlekeep in a hurry. The other thing that's going on is the Netherese, specifically the um, occupants of the city of Thultanthar, or Shade, um, have, I would suppose you'd say, directives from Shar to do something, and the something will involve both Candlekeep and the elven city of Mithdranor. So... Knowing Forgotten Realms books, as we all do, you know there's going to be fighting. <laughs> um, lots of fighting. But that's... The bulk of the book is actually about, you know, the, the struggle about these two things. And, and you'll get to see some high-powered... I'm trying not to spoil her here. You'll get to see some long-term... We, we assume for the book clubs that 
people have read the book. Oh, so, very we, cool. so we can be as spoilery as okay. we want. Okay, so so let me get heavy spoilers. Yeah. Okay, so you have um, the Most High um, deciding. Okay, in order to do what we wish to do, we need the power of both the wards of Candlekeep, which have been layered onto for centuries, millennia, so that they are not inf- quite a mythal, but almost. Oh yeah, yeah. almost a mythal, and the mythal of Miss Drenner, which is decaying but half repaired, um, and has also been added on to for centuries plus as we you know get to see in the book the power in all the elven crypts all the family magical items which of course means you have to deal with the Baelnor so all of that is up for grabs and being taken um, so uh, Elminster goes undercover as a monk of Candlekeep and discovers on his way into Candlekeep literally wading through the dung that oh Others have tried this way into Candlekeep before me. I'm going to be sharing Candlekeep with a whole bunch of monks who are imposters, and hmm, this is going to be fun. And sure enough, it is. And at the same time, there are other powerful, um, uh, powerful in the art individuals watching, specifically Larlock, who is um, perhaps, perhaps, the last surviving chosen of Mistral, the predecessor to Mistral, and he has nothing but contempt for the Thultansons, the Netheries, because he thinks they're like small children. The, the sort of, the, well, or rather, rebellious adolescents, the ones who will say, oh, effort, and just smash something mm-hmm. to show that they can. And well, ultimately, they're, they're Netheries and responsible for the death of, of Mistral, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and he's, he, he thinks... They should not have this power. It doesn't matter how I feel emotionally towards them. They are unfit for this power. It should not be in their hands. So he is looking to take over the power that they want to accumulate and just control it all himself. So it's like because he figures that if anybody in this no longer um, watched over by a, a god or goddess of magic, um, Planet of Toro, should have the keys to all the power, it should be him, because he trusts himself. He doesn't trust any of the rest of us. Like any good tyrant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, like, that's exactly it. And he particularly thinks the Most High is an arrogant, foolish, misguided, and ruler who has achieved a lot of what he's achieved because the people underneath him have obeyed him, and Shar has helped him. But, of course, he knows what Shar is, the goddess of despair, Loss. Mm-hmm. He knows that every single powerful servant of Shar in the past has fallen abruptly and utterly because Shar takes delight in that. She she sets up her tools and, and then destroys them with glee. That's that's what she's feeding on. That's what she mm-hmm. wants. So he thinks this isn't going to be good for the the world, and therefore I'm going to step in. And he does. And he then he succumbs to the temptation. Mm. When he's been helped by everybody else, that you know, I should just do this. I should I should set myself up as the deity. I should you know. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, we discover that somebody else of great power, more power than him, the Srinchi, has been watching all of this because, after all, it's her beloved city of Mithranor that's endangered and imperiled in half of this, and she just waits till the right minute. 
and hits him, which is the same sort of tactic that Elminster uses at the end of the book. And so some people who have read the book go, oh, that's impossible. So-and-so is more powerful. That couldn't have happened that way. And, And they seem to be missing the point. It's not so much... Um, who on paper could beat who else on paper. It's what happens at the moment. And in in this case, it was perfect timing on both by people who, in one case, was watching and lurking and staying out of the fight and waiting for her precise right moment to go pow Mm. and therefore succeeding. And in the the other instance, it was someone who, (laughs) in desperation, Um, hit at the moment he thought and he was correct about what it was to how he could take down a foe he should not on paper have been able to take down but the book isn't really about um, who blasts whom and who's left standing at the end the book is really about principle and what you're fighting for and what the lengths you will go to to protect or defend or promote what you believe in. The, um, we, we see all the Baelnorn doing what they have been tasked to do and dying in the doing of it. We see all sorts of um, desperate stopgap up-the-sleeve measures like Elminster, you know, all the monsters he's bound for centuries. Mm-hmm. He's, like, mm-hmm. unleashing and hurling onto the battlefield, literally, like, scooping up stones and throwing them in the enemy's face because he, he just needs to buy time, and this is one thing. He, oh, I could do this. And, by the way, when I do this, it means all of the tiny infinitesimal bits of power that I've invested in all these bindings, I can now get back. It can be freed free because I need it all now, you know. And... I think, um, for instance, those of you who were um, concerned that the the Tree of Souls was going to be destroyed um, at the end of the book, no, because the Srenshi offstage, because you can't put everything into the book, and I had so many things to put into this book, um, told the Baelnorn, you know, I'm sorry, I know that you agreed to guard your family's remains and your family's honor. It is more important for the race that you guard the tree now. So they all leave, those that are surviving, all leave their crypts and weld themselves into a protective... Um, I think the best way to think of it is a, is a hollow fang that fits over the mm-hmm. tree, um, protecting it from the last battle uh, mm-hmm. of the book. So... What happens in the Herald is we see fierce disagreement to the point of I will kill you if I must amongst the, the chosen of Mistra because they are interpreting a prophecy differently. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, seeing, seeing um, I mean, um, the battle between the, uh, the couple of the sisters and Elminster yes. um, kind of threw me off because on one hand it's... it's um, you know, they've had centuries, literally, to get to know each other. And you, mm-hmm. you would think a lot of times they would be past that. You know, Have a 30-second conversation and, and fi- figure out what's going on here. Um, but on the other hand, it felt very much sort of like a, an old-school superhero team-up. Mm-hmm. You know, the two superheroes meet each other, they have to fight for a little while, and then they work out their differences and, and fight together against the bad guys. You know? mm-hmm. but, but the thing is, we have ancient prophecies... And they're all interpreted differently by different people because they're all cryptic. And you have 
everybody following their own principle and willing to kill their friends or their longtime uh, comrades because it's too important, the stakes of the world, you know, you know yeah, we cannot blow this. And they, they le- have legitimate differences of opinion. They both think they're in the right. And I wanted to underscore that because who is the herald depends on where you are in the book and how you interpret, uh, as you read through it, and how you interpret the prophecy. Mm-hmm. Meaning, although there are bad guys here, out-and-out bad guys, um, there are also, most of us are in the middle doing what we think is right or serving the cause we think is right. Um, many of those imposter monks of Candlekeep, they think they're there to guard Toral, you know, to, to, to do the right thing. They're spying on each other. They've, they've often killed uh, the, one of the real monks to take their place. They've been living there for quite some time, pretending to be a monk and watching all of their fellow monks, thinking some of the rest of you are imposters too. I have to find out who it is. I have to get you. <clears throat> but they're all doing it with the best will in the world. Um, I, I wanted to underscore the point that life isn't easy moral choices. Life is hard moral choices. And there is no one true right way and those who tend to think of that are more dangerous even if they cloak themselves in i am the righteous i am the good i am and it behooves us all in any situation to think twice to consider the other person's point of view to try and fully understand the other person or the opposing side because even if we emerge from that process thinking oh yeah, I was right. I knew I was right. I was right all along. Um, we will understand our foe or un- and, and be able to deal with them more effectively. And then we will also be able to see that there is some alternative to total annihilation, as in, you disagree with me, you must die, or you must be crushed. Well, no, maybe, maybe we need to take that person's talents and harness them and somehow get them headed in the right direction to bolster and enrich lives for us all rather than just kill them to get them out of the way so that we can have our way and it isn't although though i tried to give it a a fun happy wrap-up ending nothing is completely tidy in life and many of the the questions individual questions that gamers might have after reading through the books of the sundry. So what happened to this God? So, so what happened to this in this city? If I go to this city right after the sundry, what's it look like? Is it a flaming ruin or what? Um, it's a great no, question. Yeah. Let, let us know what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> exactly. And I, we can't answer them all for, for practical reasons. Um, the fourth and fifth books of the Sundering were being turned in just about the same time as my deadline. So I couldn't read them before writing the Herald, I, although I had read all the previous books in the series up until then, uh, I can't tidily walk down my checklist making sure everything's explained. And I don't think we want that. I think um, as the realms goes forward, we need to have enough elbow room for all DMs and all um, fans reading about the world and just playing that game we all play. So what happened next? Or I wonder what, uh, what what was the real motivation in that? So you think about that, and hopefully the author's next book will address some of that. Um, spoiler? No. <laughs> Speaking of filling in the gaps, mm-hmm. we saw most of the Seven Sisters, but there were a few notably absent. Mm-hmm. Uh, any idea 
well, clearly there's an idea. Uh, any chance you could tell us where they are? In the realms? Yes. <laughs> Theoretically. <laughs> no, no, that's the, that was that's the answer. The answer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I, I didn't have the word count to literally wander sure. around and say, no, I would, did water deep. I think it's fine they're not yeah. all in there, but, yeah. but I'm yeah. curious. And the, that's, that's a feature, not a bug, mm-hmm. <laughs> because it now means we can tell other stories about various of the seven because we didn't pin down and label what they what they were doing at that point in the sundering, um, what I can reveal here and now is that some of them had yet other uh, missions that they were tasked to do by Mistra, and they were doing them. And one of the reasons that the weave did not collapse at two of the climactic points in the Herald, one when the um, wards of Candlekeep went down, when Larlock grabbed the power, mm-hmm. you know, and the secondly, when the big crash at the end, mm-hmm. one of the reasons everything didn't go to pot, because, you know, Alminster was strung out. Right. Storm was strung out. They were in the middle of this. Well, who else was doing it? Well, you could tell what Amaroon, the successor to Elminster, was doing and how little she was effectively doing because she was there. Because, once again, it disobeyed. And, and hey, that's a common theme, just like Elminster. Jeez, she's <laughs> really her, you know, uh, and... and was on the battlefield. So why didn't everything go to pot? Well, there are two or three other factors. Some of them we haven't talked about at all, like other spellcasters, powerful spellcasters, who were watching from the sidelines. Because just as the Srenshi and Larlock were watching from the sidelines, there were a lot of lesser, slightly lesser in power spellcasters who were watching from the sidelines and thinking, do I want to get into that? demolition derby that's going on in the center of the arena right in front of me? No. No, no, no. Let's just wait until there's pick, one or two Pick cards. up the pieces afterwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but, of course, at the right moment, they could stabilize the weave by just saying, no, no, this shall not happen. Not this little bit here that I could influence. Well, they were all doing that. Mm-hmm. So, although we didn't actually... I didn't actually do the meanwhile, 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 right. which... I, I was tempted to do, and in, in, in if I had more word count, I planned to do a whip around. Well, I would I would go from the battle, <laughs> so you're doing your, your Monty Python fighting the Black Knight, and then you cut away to, meanwhile, somewhere else in the realms, you know, some powerful spellcasters in the middle of doing something, and they suddenly go blank. And whoever's with them, their advisor, their bodyguard, says, are you okay? Excuse me? Excuse me? And, and it's pushing at them, or, or, you okay? And they're like, they're levitating and their eyes roll up in their head and so on. What they're doing is completely ignoring their surroundings right now and doing their little bit. And then I would cut back to the battle and I would do that again with someone else. And I thought, you know, <clears throat> that might be effective, but to, to, to give the reader the full import of it, that it's a lot of them, rather than just this person and that person... I would be overdoing it in the same way that if you watch the second of the original trilogy of Star Wars movies and the intention was to show what a brute of a villain Vader was when he has admiral after admiral who's displeased and suddenly go <laughs> and fall over in his wake. That was meant to like frighten the audience and build up Vader and say, oh my God, this guy's utterly ruthless and, and he... 
he he rewards those who have failed him instantly and on the spot. But our reaction as human beings to that after the second or third is to start giggling, you know, because we have to deal with this horrible stuff in some way, and therefore it backfires. And I was thinking that same thing is going to happen to me. It's going to be yeah, yeah, <laughs> and another one, yeah, yeah, you know. And so I okay, just leave it out and keep our focus in. Mm-hmm. But that's what was happening. Uh, the seven that you didn't see, and a lot of other powerful spellcasters were all whatever wherever they were in the realms or whatever they were doing at that moment. They were like, oh, I've got to drop everything and try and stabilize this little portion sure. of the weave because the one thing that all chosen have missed, and and <clears throat> this is something that some gamers lose sight of, because they they work with the realms for so long, they start to trust what's in the books as gospel. From the beginning, the Forgotten Realms has been... Everything we know about it has come through unreliable narrators, like Elminster. They lie. <laughs> they, just, they, they spin in the modern political parlance. And um, everything we know about the gods comes from gossipy bards, minstrels, and caravan merchants who, who come into town. And they drop in the local tavern, and they, they buy me a drink, and I'll tell you a story. Well, the better your story is, the more exaggerated it is, the more drinks you might get out of people, or what, or dinner, or whatever. So there's that. And the, and the other main source is priests who worship these various deities directly. And they have, always have, have an a, interest in yeah, inflating things. Yeah, so their, their god is powerful and, and important. And, and so you can't trust anything you're told. And I think it's... We have to bear that in mind sure. for everything. Speaking of focus, mm-hmm. uh, you talked about not doing the meanwhiles with, mm-hmm. the, other, with the other sisters. Uh, a particular um, ab- absence was the symbol because she featured in previous books. But mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll hear more about her as, uh-huh. we, as we go forward. Um, Mert. Yes. There's this whole thread that goes through with Mert, and it never intersects, really, with the rest of the story. Even, even in your sort of recap of the story, you didn't mention the Mert mm-hmm. bit. So I'm curious uh, what your take is on, on the purpose of that thread. Yes, okay. The, the purpose of that thread wasn't really to show us much about Mert at all. As you recall, what is Mert doing all the way through that thread? Who is he interacting with? Manchun. And what we are seeing is Manchun deciding to stay on the sidelines. He's one of these many powerful spellcasters who decides... So, uh, so it actually is one of the meanwhiles, yeah. explaining why Manchun wasn't involved. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it, it's doing that for us. And it's also, because we're essentially coming back to the same two guys, mm-hmm. Okay, we're getting more and more of the banter between them and essentially Mert isn't changing during the Herald he's he's already dealing with the fact but he's dealt with it for for the previous Sage's Shadowdale trilogy of oh my goodness here I am half the realms away from the city I loved and everybody I knew and loved is dead you know I'm on my own what do I do with this new life and of course we saw in the Sage of Shadowdale books, that he was quite active with the local prostitutes and so on. He was just having a good time. He was like, oh, you know. But he is essentially not changing in this book. But as he and Manchun have their various encounters, they are not only discussing what's going on 
even if briefly and obliquely, at a higher level than, say, a, a laborer on, on a farm field who has no way of knowing what's happening politically would. Um, but we're also, you're getting to see how Manchun is changing or how Manchun is reaching decisions and um, changing his, in, his instinctive and first response yeah. and saying, uh, wait a minute. He's you a know. villain. He's not supposed to grow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and and by the way, Mert and Manchun are pointing the way towards the next. The next. You're laying oh, the groundwork. Yes. Yes. Okay. Oops. It could be revealed here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've we are 25 minutes in, and I've I've written more new questions than we've actually answered. Oh <laughs> uh, well, yeah. This sort of yeah. tends to happen. Uh, that's fine. Um, just sort of on, on an overview, we talked earlier about, or you mentioned earlier about how um, there are many answers to the question about who the Herald is. Um, I think a bigger question is, what are they heralding? Ah, uh, yes. Well, in, in, some, in some part, they are just part of that prophecy that, that we get to see glimpses of and that people are interpreting in various ways. So the Herald is... The unknown, the placeholder title for the being who will do this at this time in the prophecy. In, a, in another way, the herald is the harbinger of change, and we are seeing once more powerful change coming to the realms. In the, I believe I called it the realm shaking event to end all realm shaking events because we've never had those before. No, never, never. And <laughs> and, and um, you know about this end and forever. We'll see how long forever lasts this time. Sure. As as I I had one of the characters say sarcastically to mm-hmm. another yes, character. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, because I I want to underscore that everybody thinks that they've settled something or what they've done is important or that this is now immutable because they've and guess what no. Doesn't nothing's like that, right. um, but which on a meta level is also true of, of the company who owns the brand, right? Sure, you know th- they, they they have announced in the past realm shaking events, sure. end all realm shaking events, and and they sincerely meant it until later on when they decided they didn't. Yes, so, yeah. and, and, and and it happens in all our sure. lives. The only constant is change. Um, there 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 is a joke about the the local community I I live in which um, applies to many small rural communities everywhere in the world. You know, how many people from Community X does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is, change? Because it's essentially a conservative community. Uh, small C conservative, nothing changed. But guess what? It does change. The, the old people who are being most made fun of in that joke have in their lifetimes in, in the real world seen the coming of electricity Sure. Telephones. Yeah. Change, the change happens whether, yeah. whether yeah. you want yeah. it to. All this, they have seen more change than any, and two world wars, a depression sandwiched between them. Yeah. The complete change of, like, we are in touch with the globe rather than people like in the realms who could travel to far Cathay and mm-hmm. come back and tell us lies about it because we can't go there and we can't know any right. different. Now we can. So we know when we're, or we more often know when we're getting lied to. Sure. But, they didn't back then, so they we're having a huge change. And yes, change keeps marching on. Sure. Um, now, the, the other thing about the Herald is, I am playing a bit with that. Be careful what you ask for, shtick, because there is this a 
assumption that the prophecy will cover this momentous time of great strife and darkness, and out of it will come a brighter, shinier, new tomorrow with little birdies tweeting, and we'll all uh, hand in hand walk off into the sunset and live happily ever after. And I'm thinking, really? Things are certainly not the way they <laughs> used to be exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a spirit of the old realms right. returning, but not the actual old realms returning. So. Yeah, and not only that, what is the herald um, in real-world terms? The herald is the guy who made sure that you couldn't deceive your opponent in battle by adopting the wrong arms. You know, when you're all encased in armor and you can't see the person's face... Oh, he's on my side or he's not on my side. So what he is, he's the marshal or, or rules keeper for war. Right. And what we do in our real world now, we, we have ritualized war into a game like, I don't know, football, for example. Mm-hmm. So um, here are the combatants in uniforms so you can tell each other apart. And here's a guy in the, the, the black and white stripes and the cap telling you, oh, that, that play has to come back mm-hmm. because there are rules. Well, that, the Herald's doing the same thing. The Herald is like, here we go. Keeping are you ready? Honest. Keeping everybody honest. Yeah. Um, honest, uh, switching gears a little bit, mm-hmm. back to our, our superhero team-up uh, encounter mm-hmm. between the two sisters and Elminster. Um, it, it's been pointed out to me with, in some conversations about the book that, that you actually um, have done a nice job of showing some gender equity in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, the guards aren't all guys, uh, like some of the Realms novels sometimes uh, end up doing. Um, after several centuries of knowing each other, though, why is it that Elminster's first impression of meeting these two women who he raised as daughters, that relationship's always sort of weird to me because his first impression is describing various uh, attractive body parts. Um, well, okay, here's the thing. <laughs> he, he, you know, he's, he's known these women for, for hundreds of years, and the first thing he thinks when he sees them, ah, oh, look at that derriere, you know? <laughs> <laughs> because, and that's the thing, that's the weird thing about this. Right. And I, that's something I've been exploring in all of these books. All of the chosen are what we would call insane. Sure. Because mortals were not made to handle the sort of power that we've coursing through them. And... If you, you know, if you if you read the realms lore as a gamer, and uh, I'm, I'm now talking about outside fictional books and and inside the various game products, we have a litany of chosen who went nuts, went bad, or suicided, or just burnt out from Aloven, uh, right through Samaster, and so you know the 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 sort of people who are of the right metal to be chosen. And last are very few, which is, of course, why we have the Seven Sisters, because Mr. was going, oh, I'm just going to have to breed them myself, you know, because she couldn't find enough. Okay, Mm -hmm. so although they've had that relationship, which, you know, our modern real-world meta relationship finds creepy, by the way, it isn't in the realms. You know, there are a lot of people who are creeped out by the fact that Mert married his ward, the little girl he'd helped raise, Mm -hmm. and... They say, well, oh, what a molester. He's taking advantage of her. No, not in that society in time. And by the way, although, again, editors at TSR back in the day made sure that you never saw that fictional scene because we weren't telling sure. you know, smut stories for adults, she seduced him. Hmm. She chose him. And he said, no, I, 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 but, you know, she looked around at all the men in Waterdeep and said, you know, for all his faults, this guy who's raised me is the best I can see. 
I'm the only one out of all these that I can trust. I don't mean he's honest. I mean, I know exactly when he's going to fail me on what issues, because I know him. So therefore, as a woman alone, of small stature, very agile, acrobatic, but that could end in a moment if somebody breaks my knee, you know, um, who is the best person to spend my life with? This guy. You know, so from their point of view, it's not against societal norms. Well, the same thing, Elminster and the Chosen, the Seven, long ago moved beyond that. And remember, Elminster raised them as a foster father, not as their right. biological father. And that was so many centuries ago that they have all, many times over, seen everyone they knew and loved, the kingdoms that they knew, mm-hmm. pass away and then be replaced by others who have in turn passed away. They were like, they have outlived everybody. They have dealt with all of that grief. They have moved beyond that. And the only thing that keeps them going is dedication to the, the mistress principles, the cause, which is why you, part of that, that superhero team up, you know, why they were getting so fierce about their principles with each other is because it means so much to them. Mm-hmm. Because if they aren't doing this, why are we still here? Mm-hmm. I've gone through so much for this, you know. So there's that. And the other thing is to continually take a full interest in life, which I suppose you call that they were hedonists. Mm. Not necessarily all just sex, but everything. They love eating and drinking. They love plunging into a, a cold water when it's hot and sticky. They, they, in, they enjoy the sensations of Even life. after all these hundreds of years, what, it's, it's, it's still, what, it's it's still what keeps them going. Sure. That's what they plunge back into. Mm. And, of course, that's what I was trying to underscore with Mert when he went, you know, finding the prostitutes and going off because he's trying to anchor himself. Oh, my gosh. You know, they, they will probably think I'm long dead. They probably won't even recognize I'm a lord of water. Even somebody else is probably living in my house now, even if it still exists. And I'm half a world away. And I've lost all my money. I've lost my reputation. I've lost everyone who meant anything to me. Like, Asperger's mm-hmm. what? You know, what do I do? Ah! Plunge into the pleasures of the flesh. Because it's, it's at one point it's liberating. And the other thing is he's trying to anchor himself and feel alive again. That's exactly what Alminster is doing. He looks at the... He goes... Wow, you know, they're being through the same stuff I go through. And they look pretty good. At the same time, he's sort of reassuring himself. Hey, and you're still on your feet too. Hmm. You must look pretty good. And he says to himself, no, I know you don't. I I know you look like hell because I look at you in the mirror. You're me. (laughs) But we must be pretty good, you know? Because And and that's that's shorthand for all of that. He's not going, hey, 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 because he's seen them all naked before. Everything from squalling little babies he was changing up through being magnificent woman for centuries of being magnificent woman. And I'm just trying to feel, uh, share with what it must be like mentally to live that long and have those things happen to you. Because I think in far too much heroic fantasy, the characters be- just become ciphers, one dimensional superheroes. Um, quite often, when you see various depictions of characters who are supposed to be gods, say the Norse gods, and they're slanging each other back and forth like they're teenagers. And you never get past that outward, you know, the mask, the the uniform, and the the overblown words they hurl at each other. Brother, you have done wrong. You know, all that stuff. You know, and 
I, what's it like to be inside their heads? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to... Humanize yeah. the, the superheroes of the yeah. world a little bit. I'm trying to communicate that without slowing the book down, dumping you inside their heads and said, okay, we're not going to have a psychological novel. You know, because that's not what I'm here to write. Right. And all the gamers and all the readers, and guess what? The publisher would be a little disappointed. What is this? Sure. You know. <laughs> Eric, I haven't given you a chance to ask any questions. If you have any, feel free to jump in. I have a question. Well... Oh. What was your favorite scene to write in the book? I think my favorite scene to write was the most indulgent one at the end. The the giving the happy ending. And it wasn't so much the very last one where we're reduced to the two guys. It was the scene before that where the kitchen was quite crowded with everybody arriving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a it, sort of a Thanksgiving, everybody coming yeah. home and yeah. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't so much the... It was the difficult characters, like Glathra, Barkantle, who is a woman who has flourished among the war wizards of Cormier by being more of a verbal dragon than any of them could ever be. She jumps down your throat as a matter of course when she sees you. She gives orders in all directions, and it's watching her. And then it's watching a certain Vanger de Hast. And... and his reaction and her reaction to him. It's seeing the difficult characters and how this is, this really is a moment where they feel they can let go. And yet at the same time, they are lost in awe. Because I also wanted to underscore for all the readers, because unfortunately, the accumulative effect of all the past fiction in the realms that has dealt with the gods is that the gods become these overblown humans like the Norse gods, like the Greek gods, like the Roman gods, who become overly familiar because we see them um, fornicating, cursing, fighting, and they just, oh, so they're just like overblown humans. The awe is lost. And I wanted to show you, guess what? Mortals in the realms feel awe in the presence. And and here's here's a quick little example of this. So I think, and the other thing is, it was my favorite scene to write because that bit did come last, so I was like, hey, I'm wrapping up. <laughs> uh, so speaking of wrapping up, uh, what's next? In the realms? In, in, in what you're doing. Everything? Sure. Okay. Anything well, you want to let people know about? Okay. Um, I am working on a new project that you won't see anything um, much about until January of um, 2015 on my um, website. TheEdverse.com, where I will start serializing a new story, which is completely different. It's nothing to do with the realms. If you're waiting for your next realms fix, and, you know, all release dates are carved in quicksand on a stormy beach with the tide coming in, okay? Keep that in mind. But around uh, the end of June, beginning of July of 2015, Mm -hmm. the next realms novel should appear. I'm going to spoiler it right now by saying, guess what? Elminster's in it. <laughs> no. <laughs> and and so are. Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I suspect uh, Amaroon as well, since that's been a theme of the last several books. Very, very briefly, oh, if yeah. at all. Oh. But you will see more of Storm, mm-hmm. and you'll see more of Eminem. Okay. Okay. And you'll also see some blasts from the past, some names, or rather some characters who have 
pretty much existed only as names in the old gray box and mm-hmm. things like that, where we, oh, so what have they been doing all this time? Bing, you'll see. Mm-hmm. So that will come out, I think, at about that time. And I think, again, in June of 2015, I will have a steampunk novel come out from Tor Books, mm-hmm. just a one-shot, called The Iron Assassin, which is, uh, I think the subtitle is A Clockwork Prometheus. And um, yeah, that sounds terribly grand, but uh, this is a romp. This is a Victorian romp in an alternative London, mainly London, but London and its environs, of an empire of the lion, which is, well, it's not the Victoria we know from history. And yes, there are indeed mustache-twirling people, and the, one of the things that, as you see with the realms, powerful female characters, you will see powerful female characters. You also see powerful male characters strutting their stuff. And in, in the case of the title your character, um, being used rather like Frankenstein's monster by various people. And you also see, of course, you know, um, an English gentleman's club with a rather unusual encounter within it. And... Um, Oh, there's all sorts of fun stuff. And so that's something I did just to be a complete tonic and sideline. And I'm also working on a whole pile of stuff that I can't tell you about, both for legal reasons and because it would really be stupid to tell you about it now when it's morphing so much, still changing, um, because I'd just be misleading you. But um, I, I want to shift from my current three or four books a year up to around six books a year. Mm. So there'll be lots of new stuff coming up. Sure. Um, and I'm still working on the realms. And right. by the way, um, for those of you who are, who are experiencing the tyranny of dragons, that's just the first of a whole bunch of stories that are already almost finished or that people are hard at work on. I can't say anything more about those stories for legal reasons, but I want to reassure all gamers who are going, so, I got my new monster manual now to go with my new player's handbook. So where's my big realms book? Hey, where is it? Okay. That question came up several times at this con. Yeah. Well, and as far as I know, as a freelancer outside, there isn't yet such a um, product on the schedule. That's more or less what Mike Morrow said. Yeah, and we don't even know what whether it'll be a book or whatever. Maybe it'll be un, unrollable scrolls. I don't know. But but stone tablets. Yeah, stone tablets. Yeah, yeah. Those are, those are hard <laughs> on the FedEx budget. <laughs> stone tablets. But I can tell you that the company has not only committed; they've actually largely finished producing the next couple stories. So the realms is going to be healthily moving along into the future. Nor are those stories going to be realm-shaking events or necessarily realms-wide. So there's, all, not, there's not going to be a tidy this and then this and then this. They're going to be overlapping, and so the, the world is going to be alive. Mm-hmm. The, world is going to, the realms is co- going to continue to live and breathe and be colorful. And the company is there and committed to behind it. So you know, as a gamer, you can say, oh, good. They're not just going to turn this off in five minutes. I can I can come back to the realms. I can move on with my campaign, comfort comfortable in the knowledge that this is going to keep rolling. 
Very good. All right. Well, uh, we've gone well past our, our normal time, <laughs> as we tend to do. So uh, with half of my questions not asked, uh, I guess we'll wrap this up for now. And uh, I'm okay. sure we'll be talking to you as more projects come down the line. Sure. That would be lovely. Anytime. You've got more questions? When I get home to Canada... We'll just, we we'll can call do you up. And, yeah. yeah, we'll do the rest of the we'll questions. Just, we'll just do a weekly uh, weekly talk with Ed show. You know? Sure. Okay. Cool. That works. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the end of this episode of the Tone Show Book Club. I want to thank Eric M. Paquette for filling in for Tracy and you know being here like you are. What every book club for the last how long? Almost since the beginning. Almost. I think I missed a few episodes at the start. But. Yeah. Very good. And people can find you as Eric Impact PAQ on Twitter, right? Yes. Very good. I also want to thank Noble Knight for their continued support. Make sure you guys go out there and shop at Noble Knight and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. And I want to thank our listeners for using our affiliate links, for listening to the show, for spreading the word. I, I met more listeners at Gen Con this year than I ever have before and all of them said really fantastic things about the show and were very supportive and I really appreciate all that. I'm seeing more and more people posting things on on Google Plus or Facebook or whatever about the show and and just really engaging and spreading the word and that is awesome. So as much as using our affiliate links and that kind of stuff is really cool because that helps. I, know I use I spread that out a little bit and, and um, it, you know try to help out all the people who help make the show possible um, with with that affiliate um, income that we get. What what little we get, um, but more than that, like getting the support of you guys and helping spread the word and let people know about the show has been fantastic. And you can contact us through email at the Tome Show at gmail or to the bizline at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And if you want to find show notes or other great Tome Show shows, head over to thetomeshow.com. And that is our thoughts on the Herald and kind of the sundering as a whole now that it's all over. Remember, we're taking a break in September, and then we will be back in October to read Fire in the Blood, and then we'll finish it in November. Until then, keep turning the page, Tomites. I'm on the wall.